Welcome to the Coaching Focus podcast. I'm Trayton Vance, CEO and founder of Coaching Focus. I've been coaching for over 25 years and I wanted to share that experience and those lessons learned with you. I will converse with fellow coaches, chief executive officers, senior leaders and HR professionals to bring you insight into how coaching is being used, the current thinking around coaching and new ideas that will hopefully ignite your thinking and help to facilitate coaching for a better tomorrow. In part one, you'll have heard Craig's story and appreciate that what we're about to discuss is not only something Craig has experience in coaching in, but is something that he can personally relate to. Craig, thank you for sharing your story. Let's now explore your perspective on how well-being is evolving in the coaching environment. I guess from a coach's perspective, one of the areas that I'm sure our listeners will want to understand, a lot of our listeners will be leaders, and all of them, if not most of them, will be line managed in some way. So how do you have these sort of conversations around well-being, disclosing vulnerability, how you're feeling, where you are in that current context of your emotional state? How do you do that as a line manager and someone who's being managed? It's a really good question, and it points very firmly towards the culture within the company itself. So if you have a very open culture within the company that is driven from top down, where these things are encouraged, you have the framework in place, you have the knowledge in place, you have empowered your staff to do what it is they're supposed to do, It's not actually as hard as you might think. Um, But that being said, doing all the aforementioned things is harder than you might think. Sure. And the reason it's hard is because, like you were saying about yourself, you know, when you were 12 years old, when you were self-diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and all those things, it was frowned upon. And I think sadly, even today, although it's getting better, I'm glad to say, a lot of organizations will frown on mental health, well-being, and, and showing any vulnerability. Yes, I think sort of from my perspective, actually sort of going in and looking at culture change, um, lots of companies spend money. So, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm here telling you that companies don't spend money trying to sort this out. It's just... Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, they spend money on the latest fad or the latest zeitgeist or somebody knows somebody who knows somebody whose job gave them a piece of fruit on a Friday. Um, So you go out and you buy 10, 20, 30 pieces of fruit and put your hands in the air and say, well, that's us, aren't we great? So it's a tick boxing exercise. Indeed. The wellbeing pound is becoming bigger and bigger. The influence that the well-being has now on the workforce through things like retention, uh, even to the point of appeal of, of job positions. If you know that a company has a particularly toxic um, work environment, why would you want to go and work for them? Sure. You know, if, if so the attraction as well as the retention. Indeed. Yeah. You know, we're in the situation where jobs are becoming very specialised, and 
you know, the, the levels of education are increasing and we're, we're looking at sort of technical outputs and things on those sorts of, of lines. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, everyone within a company plays a part and a role. And, you know, the, the idea of the company as the human body is, is very, very um, relevant today as it's always been. Because without certain pieces, it falls down. It doesn't work. But what we've started to notice is that, you know, the, the, the cost implications of replacing staff, knowledge implications of replacing staff, the, even the work team dynamic of replacing staff is suddenly coming into this huge, sharp focus. If I've got somebody who's been part of my, my company and they know the ins and outs and everything else of what's going on, if they leave, I've not only got to find somebody with the same technical expertise, which is going to take time, it's going to take money to advertise, it's going to take a salary to pull that person in, it's then going to take more time for them to get their feet under the desk, learn everything, meet everyone, find out what's going on. And all this time, that team's been working a person short, which will then have had an impact on everybody else within that team. So what you're saying is you're starting to see organisations realize the monetary value of looking after people and, and providing an environment where well-being is in place. It has to happen. It has, okay. And it's it's one of these one of these scenarios that at the end of the day, the companies that don't evolve and start realizing this will be the companies that will suffer. Because you can let, let's take an example of a premiership for if I'm a premiership football club and I'm not one of the big boys, so I'm not a, a, a sort of normal top, top tier team, and I'm just hovering in and around the bottom, so I've got money coming in, I can pay my bills, but I'm in my relegation fight on a regular basis. So my funds aren't unlimited. I can't just you know, go and do what I want. Now, if I get a talent at 16, and I nurture that talent through the, through the club, and I train, and I coach, and I input, and I empower, all the things that we do as coaches. That 16-year-old turns into a premiership footballer. So my choice is I can do all of this for very little money. And I hate talking about cash when it comes to people, but it's true. I can do all this for very little money, or I can dip into the transfer market for 50 million quid and get the equivalent plan. Now, I'm a company, football club, that doesn't have 50 million pounds. What do I do? So what you're saying is developing and creating that environment that not only develops, but also creates a, an attraction to bring that new talent in from a, and the return on the investment is far greater. Indeed. So I guess the key question here is, how do organisations do that? Well, there's got to be a starting point. And I think that's, they all, again, it's one of these, isn't it? You know, the, the longest journey starts with the first footstep. Yeah. And it may seem an incredibly overwhelming journey. And unfortunately, that puts a lot of companies off. And I guess it's a journey that seems overwhelming for initially little return. 
Indeed, because people look at this and they say, okay, do I go and uh, create a new product line which could give me an immediate return on investment, so I sell something straight away, or do I put something in place that's going to effectively generate me a passive income forever? Sustainability. Indeed, which is a, a, a cracking but overused word in so many different sure. places. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is more sustainable to develop, coach, empower internally than it is to consistently go out and buy in the top talent. Because you're having to constantly do that. Every year. Yeah, yeah. And every year that talent gets more expensive. And every year people want more for that talent. And of course, every year, other companies are improving their offering. So why would they want to come anyway? Yeah. Unless it's a step up on where they are in the first place. So that actually sort of having that long-term mindset and say, you know what? Yes, we need to go on this journey. This journey isn't going to take a year. This journey will take two years. Again, it depends on the size of the company and the things that we're dealing with. But you know, traditionally, if, if we've got a directorship and a C-suite, we're a reasonable size. Now, you know, if I'm a, a team of 100 to 500 people, to expect to change the culture of that business in six months is completely unrealistic. And I use the word realistic so much within my own personal practice because unrealistic expectations can never be met and therefore are nothing other than toxic because all they do is give you a marker of failure because you can't reach it. I'm five foot eight. I cannot jump 11 feet in the air, even if I put springs on my feet. So give me something that I can work towards and attain, and we can go places. So for our HR professionals that are listening to this podcast, who will have many of them over 500 employees, if not thousands, what's that spring or that initial point that can help them move towards taking that first step towards a well-being culture? So for me, it comes from the top down. And the reason I say this is because without the buy-in of the senior leadership, you're always fighting that uphill battle. It might be what the guys who are on the shop floor and the middle management can see this is perfectly reasonable and this is exactly what we need to do. But unless you have the buy-in of that top management level, you're constantly fighting a battle for your budget. So how do you get that buy-in, I guess, would be the challenge that come back? The unfortunate thing was it's exactly where I was 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, before, I say this quite flippantly, well-being was cool, um, I would turn up to companies and say, you know what, if you look after your staff, this would be great. They, they'll talk about you, they'll be word of mouth, they'll be this, they'll be that. And looking after people is the best thing you can possibly do. And I'd be shown the door. And you know, quite happily shoved out the other end. And it got me to a point where I was, I either A thought about walking away from it because I just couldn't work out why people didn't want to look after people. Yeah, why don't people get what I get? Indeed. <laughs> and it was sort of, you know, we're humans. Yeah. We're, we're supposed, you know, what, what, what why makes, did you see it? Yeah, what makes more sense yeah. than looking after another human? Mm. You know, this is, 
it costs you very little to do anyway. So I went through that stage. And it wasn't until I spoke to a, um, a salesman friend of mine um, who is a high-end sales professional. And he said, look, at the end of the day, businesses have been set up to make money. A CEO is put into the business for their vision, for their direction, but ultimately to make sure that company makes money to pay to their shareholders, investors, um, salaries. To get a return to what the investors want. Yeah. He said, so you need to talk the language that they speak. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, I speak the language they speak. Look after people, it's great. No, no, no. You need to talk the language they speak. You need to be able to quantify people. And when you say quantify, you mean monetize the returns so of if, the investment. So effectively, I when I speak to people now, I I still refuse to not talk about the people element. Because to me, the people element is is by far the most important part. You know, it's now well-being is number three on the um, the uh, United Nations Sustainability Goals. So actually, this is now something that we're working towards for 2030, that minimum standards of well-being will be within every single working environment in the world under the... the, the so it's become legislative. Effectively, I don't know how far they will take it to legislation in terms of you must do X, but because it's been declared as one of these goals, it's up there with climate change. It's up there with uh, bringing down uh, the heat levels of the, the planet. It's up there with recycling. It's up there with cutting trees. It's, so all these incredible things that we should be doing for our planet, what they're saying is looking after people within a working environment helps our planet. And I guess if you look at going back to your point about retention and attraction for people in 2030, we're looking at those individuals, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever they'll be called at that point, that will be looking for organisations to be doing that. So talent in the future will be looking for those key elements. This, this to me is, is what will force eventually. And, and I've kind of sort of got to this place where I'm talking to people where I'm saying that you can go voluntarily now proactively. Right. Or you can wait until there's the changeover. And then people are going to be looking at you going, well, how are you going to look after my well-being? Yes, you're offering me X amount of money, but so are they. What is it different about you guys that means I'm going to come and work for you? And remember, we're talking about top talent here. But we're also talking about, if we go into the, the hospitality industry, right? we're saying that there's a, a massive shortfall for hospitality workers. Hospitality workers are shopping around. They've got choice. Indeed. Yeah. You know, like in the 80s and, and things on these sorts of mm -hmm. lines where actually we could say, we're going to go down this route because you're going to provide us with X, Y, and Z. And it's not just enough now to say, I'm going to put an extra £1,000 in your pay package. Although in saying that in the current climate, it will be. But nowadays, people are looking for, you know, how are you going to look after me? Because what they're realising is it's all well and good having the money, 
But if I'm not happy and healthy and enjoying life, what's that money really worth? Yeah, there's a balance. And that now is starting to come back onto the employer. Now, the employer isn't the NHS. The employer should never be the NHS. It is not the employer's responsibility to basically fund the health care of an individual. You know, whether that's controversial or not, I, I wouldn't know. It's my standpoint on that particular subject. But we do have a responsibility for every single person that walks through our door every single day or sits down at their computer at home you know, every single day. Our responsibility is to them as a person and an individual and a human to, to be the best they can possibly be. We want from them, well, how can we demand, 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 yet give them no tools to get to where they need to go? You know, you're not going to go out and expect somebody to build a road and not give them any road building equipment and say, right, there you go. We paid you X amount of money. We own you between this hour and this hour. Where you get? So what you're saying here, Craig, is that Gone are the days when organisations just pay you to do your best job. What's needed is the right resources, the right leadership, the right environment, the right culture, which creates an environment for people to play their best game. I think it's inevitable. And, it, it, and rightly so, in my opinion. This is, this is a direction of travel that is picking up speed. And... Very soon, it's going to be the, the the stone rolling down the hill that we're not going to be stopping. And, you know, that doesn't work us into a, a scenario of, you know, the employee is, is king, and but also we're not in the scenario where the employer is king. Sure. We're talking about balance. a symbiotic relationship that's beneficial for both sides of the equation. Yeah. And if I may add a third piece in, is best beneficial for society as well, which is the plus. Indeed. And I, I think that obviously, you know, it's a byproduct. Society will only improve when these relationships are, are stronger. The idea of social employment, where companies who are employing individuals and those individuals are then better able to look after their family. Uh, to, to interact with their environment around them, the social side of things, communities become yeah. stronger. This can all happen through the idea of social employment, but it can only happen when companies start embracing and the traditional argument has always been, it's not cost effective. We won't make as much money. We don't understand how this could be you know, financially viable. It's not going to be quick enough. It's not going to, da, 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 da. you know, we're looking at our bottom line. We can see what you're saying. It's really, really great. But the investment of that size at this moment in time is, is not tenable. Then work a plan where we're doing a bit each time and we're working towards yeah. a goal. We're coaching. Yeah. We're enabling. We're mentoring business, the whole business environment. And what I hear you saying is those factors will become hygiene factors. They're a must, not a would like to have. I, I firmly believe it. Yeah. I firmly believe that, you know, when we, I have a 10 year old son. When my son graduates um, in whatever capacity, in whatever he chooses to do, 
I would be very disappointed if we weren't in an environment where the workforce and the employers and businesses of, of the world had not reached this understanding that in actuality, it's better to work together towards a common goal than it is to pull in opposite directions, but still expect to achieve a common goal. It, it, it makes no logical sense to me. However, that seems to be the way, you know, shareholders, et cetera, profit-driven, yes. But why can't you make money and do good? Which leads me on to my final question and a question which I ask all my guests. So our purpose is very simple, a coaching focus, which is coaching for a better tomorrow. So with your son in mind or the future in mind, what's coaching for a better tomorrow for you, Greg? Coaching in its purest form. When we go back to the exchange of knowledge, the empowerment, the enablement, is something this world requires more of. Now, how that changes the world going forward, I can only see that if more of us are exchanging knowledge, working for the betterment of where we're going with target-driven, you know, completely realistic thought processes in mind, we can achieve so much. I think where we have the issue is if we don't. And that's my, that's what I take from the statement. And that's my vision for the future is, you know, whether I'm a HR professional or a C-suite, a director, an aspiring coach, we all need a coach. We all need that group of individuals, that one individual that, that we can learn a bit from and we can go to every day I learn. Every day I learn, and it's not because I actively go out looking for courses and things like that. My clients teach me. My colleagues teach me. My colleagues coach me. They don't even realize they're doing it. If we can bring that into the mainstream, if we can return that to education, if we can return that to the workforce, where every day we grow and every day we learn something new and every day we're coached on something without even realised we're being coached. What an incredible world with an benefit. Craig, I couldn't agree more. And it just shows that the coaching for a better mark tomorrow is a great purpose and we're certainly aligned in that thinking. So Craig, thank you. It's been a real pleasure and I look forward to doing more great work with you in the future. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And as always, all the resources and links mentioned can be found on our website, as can other podcasts. If you want to connect to discuss anything you've heard today or how you can use coaching for a better tomorrow, then please do get in touch.